Want to help your teachers save over 10 hours per week? Introduce them to School AI. It's not just a tool, it's a partner in the classroom. With School AI, teachers can plan courses in minutes, get real-time learning data, and provide one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Plus, it's free for teachers. Visit schoolai.com today. School AI, the classroom operating system of the future. That's schoolai.com. Focal Point K-12 is an innovative tool that helps teachers and students manage student portfolios. It provides a digital portfolio for students to store their work, set and track their own learning goals, and earn credentials and industry certifications. The platform also uses blockchain technology to ensure the security and safety of student data. Teachers can use Focal Point K-12's real-time dashboards to track student progress and save time with AI-assisted scoring. To learn more, visit focalpoint.education. Principles. Research shouldn't be a maze for students. Scribble offers a unified platform streaming the research and writing process. It integrates with major educational tools, ensures authentic student work, and provides educators with real-time insights. Elevate your school's academic rigor. Learn more at scribble.com. That's S-C-R-I-B-L-E.com. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is part of the Summer of AI series, and I'm happy to have Kevin Schindel on the program today. He's a high school social studies teacher with 28 years experience. He has taken a keen interest in technology and its impact in the classroom. Ten years ago, he created a digital detox program for students, and he runs this experience every year with his students now. He's very interested in the holistic impact of technology on students when that technology is adopted in schools. We're grateful to our sponsors for this Summer of AI series, School AI, AIleader.info, and a couple other great ones. You'll hear about those in just a moment. Kevin, welcome to Transformative Principle. Great to have you here. Thank you, Jethro. Appreciate being here. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this conversation. We were just going to chat and then decided that we should just record it and see what came of it. And so there's no like organized way of asking questions. We just had a conversation and I think it turned out really well and I'm glad that we did it. So what do you think people should get, should walk away with from this, Kevin? I think people should walk away with this idea of artificial intelligence, right? The, the pace and, and the scale at which this is coming at us. And I speak specifically from my standpoint in the classroom and school system. I think the main thing is that, that we have to have, there, there needs to be a pause button. Right. And we need to basically learn as much as we can about artificial intelligence and all of the impacts it's going to have, not just on the ability to learn facts or the ability to get help with writing or, or something like that, but all of the impacts, the social impacts, the psychological impacts and the emotional impacts in the classroom before we kind of get this off the ground and, and really start to implement it. Right. And so I just, I want people to see what this can do. Is this aligned? And, and that, that word alignment becomes really, really important. 
what's our purpose as an educational system? What's my purpose as a teacher? And is this technology aligned to that? And insofar as it is, and we can identify what our common values are and, and enhance those through artificial intelligence, we should. But if we can't do that, then I think we need we need to put the brakes on. And that's going to be really difficult because all the money and all the messaging seems to be lined up to, you know, break stuff real fast, go forward and, and let's get this off the ground. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and you give a lot of good insight throughout this conversation about uh, reasons why we should pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, reasons why we should be more thoughtful. The thing that I really took away from this, and it's the going to be the title of the episode, is that AI is not a tool, it's an ecosystem. And we have to understand that we are adopting more than just a tool. We're using more than just bringing in a drill or a hammer. We are adopting a whole ecosystem. And I think that that idea that we just barely touched on at the end, it's so good. That idea, I think, is so powerful and something that we need to be paying a lot of attention to because it's really easy to think, oh, this is just another tool. It's a way of doing things. It's a way of believing and it's a way of aligning our values to something. And and if we're not careful, then we're going to align it to the wrong thing. So we don't talk about this, but one of those things is a class dojo uh, that we didn't bring up at all. But when teachers implemented class dojo, their classrooms took on a different feel and you could feel what that was like. And depending on how they used it, there was, there were different things, but however they used it, they couldn't change what it was, which was tracking behavior and, and publicly praising or giving shame to those who met or did not meet expectations. And so that, that idea of a tool being an ecosystem is a very real thing. So Really great conversation. Appreciate your time and and thank you so much. We're going to hear the rest of this conversation with Kevin in just a moment. Okay. All right. So tell me what your thoughts are about AI. And you said after listening, time is a precious commodity. As a principal, you know this all too well. Between lesson planning, grading, and providing personalized feedback, the hours in a day can quickly disappear. What if you could help your teachers get some of that time back? Introducing School AI. School AI is not just a tool, it's your teacher's partner in the classroom. Help your teacher save over 10 hours a week on busy work, allowing them to focus on what they do best, teaching. With School AI, teachers can plan courses in minutes, get real-time data on learning, and even provide one-on-one tutoring for every student. School AI also provides a FERPA-compliant chat GPT experience. But that's not all. School AI's co-teacher feature is like a personal assistant, adapting daily lessons to student interests, checking for understanding, and even automating parent communication. And the best part, it's free for teachers. So if you're ready to reclaim your time and transform your school with the power of AI, visit schoolai.com today. School AI, the classroom operating system of the future. Visit them at schoolai.com. In my episode and my office hours, you're like, I have even more questions. Tell me what you're thinking, Kevin. Right. So, you know, I think we need to begin with, with purpose, right? And so the first question I ask is, what's the purpose of AI, right? And then once we know what the purpose is, that helps us design the structure, design how to implement it, what, what the best sustainable practices are. And so I think I'm a skeptic by nature, and I have some kind of deep-seated skepticism with AI, certainly the people that are driving it. 
the the reasons that you know that this this push seems to be coming kind of all in this moment we know the ai has been around for over 50 years right yeah. we're going back to the 50s but in this moment right why this dramatic you know you can't turn on the news without seeing ai you can't open your computer without seeing AI. you know well, why in this moment do we have to take this leap forward into what i think a lot of people and and even the people that are closest to the know have some real concerns with right mm -hmm. the pace of growth and and the spread of this and as someone who seemed to embrace the technology, like, what do you see as the ultimate purpose of this? Yeah, I, I or, think that, I, or, I think or, that's, and then more specifically, what's the purpose for the classroom? Yes. Right? Okay. That, that, that's a different, that could be an, an altogether different question. Yeah. So I'd like to start with the, the second one first. The, what's the purpose of AI in the classroom? Because I think that the purpose of AI in the classroom is different than the purpose of AI in general. Agreed. Here's what I, my educational philosophy is we give kids what they need when they need it. And so that has been my educational philosophy for a very long time. And the way that I think about education is that we should give kids what they need when they need it regardless of what it is and regardless of whether or not we agree with whether or not they need it. And so there are a lot of structures in our system that we do because they're convenient, like uh, state assessments. Kids do not need to be tested all together, all at once at this specific time in a specific way for their benefit. That's for our benefit as the adults. And so mm -hmm. is that giving kids what they need when they need it? No, it's definitely not. So to me, that doesn't really fit into my educational philosophy. However, I know that it we need that. And so we should do it. So I explained that just a little bit. I could, I could go on for hours about that. In fact, I have on this podcast. So let, let me ahead. ask you, I may have misheard you. You said whether we can agree on what they need or not. Yeah, it's not our uh, choice about what they need. It's their life it's their learning they're the ones who are the ones who actually need it and they may not even know what it is that they need in the moment sometimes they need a harsh taskmaster sometimes they need empathy and compassion sometimes they need encouragement sometimes they need to just shut up and learn the thing they need to learn that they're struggling with and so that's where that piece for me matters and the way that relates to AI is that if AI can help make it personalized and help them get what they need, then it's a tool we should definitely be employing. So to me, the purpose of really anything in the classroom is to make it more possible for kids to get what they need when they need it. That's how I personally approach that. Thoughts? Yeah, lots. And so yeah. the, the first thing, right, is... is kids need more than ever before social connection and the ability to collaborate and the ability to really, and when I say the word love in a public classroom, it's kind of like, it's not welcomed. Right. And it's right. kind of, kind of, kind of strange, but, but I think kids need love and connection. And I don't know how AI necessarily gets us there. Right. Like, so one of the things you mentioned was personalization. And I think personalization is important, right? And I, I've been inspired and in kind of looking at some of the things I wrote. I wrote a post a couple of weeks ago and I was, what hit me was Aristotle's golden mean, 
right? The, 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 the virtues and the idea that even things that are seemingly virtuous, they have vices at the, at the extremes, right? And so when we look at personalization, for example, I think it's important. But I think the idea that we're going to sell an, an educational system on personalization, I think could be really, really detrimental, right? Hyper-personalization leads to more isolation. And we know COVID, I, I always say COVID didn't, COVID didn't start mental illness. COVID didn't start student disengagement. It just it dialed everything up, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the latest, I think the latest CDC research said 44% of American teens feel anxious, depressed, or hopeless at some point. And I, I see AI being, I don't know, I, I need some help from you. I, I see AI being a toxic contributor to that, that will even exacerbate those problems. Yeah. So let me give give a spin on it that that I think is essential to understanding how that how AI could help. And mm -hmm. if, if AI is not working in this way, I totally agree with you. If our idea is that we put kids on a device and have the device be the teacher and they have no other connection, I think you're absolutely right. Totally toxic, not appropriate. However, if we can delegate to the AI, whatever the AI is, right? If we can delegate to that, the academic type stuff, the two plus two equals four kinds of things, the very specific, here's how you do things. And we utilize the teacher's time for love and connection. To me, that is the win-win in the situation that we're looking for. We want to have more of those opportunities for teachers to connect with kids and to build real, positive, healthy relationships with them and to be a supportive connection that they have that helps them see more of what the kid needs and to really focus the teacher's time, not on grading, not on giving assignments, not on things that that an AI can do, but on the human connection that the kids really need. Okay. And that that makes some sense to me, right? The idea that AI can free up the mundane tasks and let, let the relationship flourish. I think from a from a practical standpoint, I don't know how many taxpayers are going to pony up the amount of money, right? Yeah. Um, in order to have someone in a classroom basically holding hands, right? Um, holding and, hands and singing Kumbaya, right? Right. And, yeah. and, and just offering encouragement, right? And so I think, again, I, I think this push to embrace AI, let's bring it in. I think teachers are justifiably scared out of their wits that ultimately this could be a replacement. And whether the AI does a better job, you seem to think that it can do a better job with those academic tasks of, of teaching. And I, I may, even if we agree to that, right? Even if it doesn't do that and the AI is cheaper, these are economic decisions. And so that, that brings us back to kind of why the push, why now, and who's going to benefit from that. And, and I think the big idea is that and we already see this. There are companies that are laying off writers. The AI is not there yet, but the AI is free, right? right. And the writer that may have cost forty or fifty or seventy thousand dollars a year is now superfluous. They're not needed because just good enough is good enough to save seventy grand a year. Oh. And so, I think that 
I agree that it'd be great to free up some time, but I, I still have questions about what all this free time entails, right? And how it will be used. And I think some of the, a lot of the people in the spaces say, it'll free up time to produce and be creative. All, all these, what are seemingly kind of individualistic endeavors, right? And I'm not saying that, that they, they monopolize what we're supposed to do with our free time. I think the point is, we decide what we do with our free time. But I think that what's been promoted is you, you get to expand your leisure time, mostly, right? You do what you want to do. And I think that that has some real social consequences as well. Yeah. So you you said something twice now that I want to highlight and talk a little bit more about and get your perspective on. What is it that you mean when you say that? Why is this happening right now? Like, what are the bigger social things that you're seeing are driving this and some of the consequences. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I think, I think number one is money, right? I'd be hard pressed to find a, a motivation greater than money for why this is being pushed in all of the sectors that it's being pushed in right now. Right. We, we should probably still stick to education. Right. But number one is money. I think number two is power and status. And when you look at who's driving this and who's pushing this, they are generally people who have a lot of money and already occupy a, a very lofty status in the tech world, which translates to status in the political, economic, social world that we all live. I think fear is a huge motivator. When you get to the global scale, right, we're told we can't regulate, we can't stop what we do because somebody else is going to jump ahead of us. And for this one, the fear is that there is no second place, right? There's going to be one one company, one person that monopolizes this. And once they get it, everybody else has lost the race. There is no second place. And so I would, again, I'd say a money, power, fear. And I'm, I'm no fan of, of big tech and Silicon Valley. I think they're hubris, right? I think the idea that they're confident that they can use the technology that they create to solve the world's ills, it hasn't happened yet. And we have direct evidence that in fact, if we look at social media, for example, right, it's probably contributed to more ill than good, certainly among our, our school age population. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this last piece, especially about the hubris is so fascinating to me because there, because I've been involved in the tech and education space for my whole career, I've seen many different technology companies come in and say, will solve this problem for you, right? And and I want to highlight one opposite example of that, which was Adam Pizzoni, who created a scheduling tool called ABLE, A-B-L. And, and I had him, I met him and had him on the podcast a few years ago. And what his focus was really understanding very well, what issues school leaders faced when building a master schedule. And then he wanted to help solve that problem. And what's interesting is that his, the way the company went was that it started out doing that. And then it went basically into how to make sure that scheduling is equitable, that everybody's getting what they need and not getting preferential treatment. Because for example, the classic one is that if you're in band and algebra in eighth grade, then you're also in all the same other classes. And so how do you bring kids together so that you're not just with the same group of kids in every single class? And when these singletons that you have to take are, are 
only offered at certain times and it makes it difficult to balance all of that. And so anyway, Adam did a great job of really understanding what the issue was. And this hubris part comes in where most of these other tech companies are like, we know how to solve your problem and we're going to do that. But they really don't have an understanding of how to actually solve that real problem. And so they think this is what we can do to solve it. But then when it when it comes to boots on the ground, like teachers in the classrooms, they're not actually solving it and they just miss the mark. And my big thing that I've been saying lately is with social media companies, we as educators, we just let them just define all the rules and how everything was going to go and didn't do anything to say, this is how things need to be. And what I've been saying about AI is we can't let that happen again. We as educators need to be a voice in our sector. We need to be talking about what we're going to adopt. And we need to have frameworks and systems in place to make sure that the things that we're adopting are actually going to be beneficial for our students and the communities that we serve and not just beneficial for the tech companies who are solving a problem that we may very in very real terms may have a problem, but we can't just take whatever they say and bend to their will. We have to say, no, this is how it needs to work. Like privacy, for example, you cannot use our students' data to go and train your model so that you can make more money. Like our student data has to be siloed off and has to be separate. And you have to ensure that our students' data is going to be protected. And at the very least, asking that question and talking about it, because most of the times people are just using or can use that. I'm not going to accuse anybody. People can use that to do whatever they want with. And that's not, well, that's not okay. Do. Right. They do. I mean, how many times has Google itself been brought in front of the FTC for misusing and collecting too much student data? It's been mm -hmm. a number of times over the last dozen years. And all we've done, I, I think we're on the same page in terms of this has to be beneficial for the classroom and and students and teachers, right? But I, I think where we, and we, I think we're even on the same page with respect to big tech, it sounds like, right? Like they're going to do what's best for them, not what's best for our classroom. And yet they run the show. It's their money, which is off the charts, right? When you right. look at, when you look at a capital and things like that, you know, Silicon Valley bank foreclosing that not, you know, but when you look at their money and you look at their messaging, it gets to be really, really exploitative. Right. And, and I think, again, I'll go back to that fear. They knock on the school um, superintendent's door and they say, if you don't hire us to do this, your kids are going to fall behind oh. and your parents, your parents are going to want you out because you're not preparing your, your kids for the future. Right. And then so in the lack of anything else, right, and any kind of real knowledge on what AI is, they fall prey to these, what I'll call them profiteers and pariahs. And I would say definitely there are a lot of those around right now. In fact, I had a company reach out that was interested in sponsoring this summer of AI series for a transformative principle. Mm -hmm. And the I felt like it was so much just profiteering that I was like, I don't want anything to do with this because that's not what, what I'm interested in. And the companies that we have selected to sponsor this Summer of AI series are companies that I believe are approaching this in the right way. And so that I think is incredibly important. And it has to be something where you have to know 
who they are and what they're doing and what they really stand for. And it's not just about them providing a service. And there are a lot of different services out there that you can that you can use and, and try in your schools often for free. And you need to understand what it is that you're paying with because you're always paying with something and you need to be aware of that. And whether it's money or something else, it's important to know that there's something there. So I, I think it's so important to know what their goals are, what their purpose is, and how they're trying to make make education better and whether or not they're a collaborator or if they are a service provider. And there's a difference between those two. And we need collaborators. Uh, that's who we need to be working with. We don't need to be working with service providers because the service providers are saying, here's the service, take it or leave it. And if you leave it, your kids are going to fall behind. The collaborators say, here's what we have. How can we adjust this to make it work better for you? And I, for example, real quick, School AI, one of the companies, they said that their people, their schools needed a FERPA compliant chat GPT experience in the schools. So what they have is they have an agreement with OpenAI that they can use the API and that the that OpenAI is not going to use the data to train their models in the future. So that is whether or not we trust that's another issue, right? But they're at least saying we're not going to use the student data that or the teacher data that you're putting in here to train our models in the future. We're going to use other data. That to me is really important that we can keep the data private. We can keep it away from everything. And we know that it's not going to be used to train in the future because our data should be private and we should have control over where that goes and what it does. Insofar as we can trust them, right? Right, um, exactly. That, that's not, we've taken that leap of faith before mm. and been burned by it quite a bit. And so that, that trust becomes a big issue. But I, I also, I wonder to what extent those things will, will be circumvented, right, along the way, because the AI needs the data. I can't do anything without the data. And so how can we get around, whatever the case may be, you know, some of those guardrails that are in place to kind of push those out, out of bounds a little bit more. So private, I think privacy is obviously an important issue, right? And until we have, right, again, I'll, I'll go back to this, why now? Why this much with basic privacy, you know, compliance and procedures without those in place? I don't know why any system, and they, we know they will, they, they'll trust, right? Without those basic um, data and privacy concerns in place, I think we, there's major issues there. And that's just one thing, right? I think, Jethro, I'll still get back to because you, you mentioned companies will come out, right? And they will identify a problem. Or even the best companies will say, you tell us what your problems are and we'll configure solutions for you. Maybe we should have some discussion on what the problems are in today's classroom, right? And there's a ton of them. There's no shortage of problems, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in finding out which of those AI can potentially mitigate and help solve. And if there are some, then let's employ it. That's not what I see, right? I mentioned one problem. Mental illness of our students is a huge problem. Right. And so what other problems do you see that AI may be able to kind of help us with? Yeah. Let's take mental health for an example. One of the tools that exists out there is an AI driven therapist, which in the idea 
that I can have access to a quote unquote therapist whenever I need it. That sounds like a great idea and definitely something that is beneficial. However, we don't know what that therapist is going to recommend, whether or not it's going to be good information for that student. And I think it's just too early for us to be experimenting with that with young kids. So for me, that would be a pretty hard no right away because that's not that's not how we solve that problem right now. So but go kids ahead. Have access to, kids have access to that right now with Snapchat. They've got a G, they've got GPT in, embedded into Snapchat. Kids are using it right now, right? And so sure. I think we always have this tremendous, you know, one of the things I'm working on some presentations myself and, and, you know, I, I kind of have this faith in technology spectrum, right? On the one time, on the one side, you have tech utopians and idealists. And on the other side, the other extreme would be the tech dystopians and the alarmists, right? And I think we always have a gap between what our ideals are and the people who are the utopians trying to sell their ideals as the reality. But as you mentioned, we don't even know the advice that it would give but then there's really, really good evidence to support that even if it did a great job of therapy, it might further isolate people because the level of comfort that an individual develops with an AI that is personalized and configured to their needs, to be their assistant, right, to be their guide, I think there's good evidence to support that that's going to replace other types of physical human advice that they can get and the bonds that they need, right, to not be isolated. So. I don't see a way out of the mental health thing. And, and in fact, there, there's no evidence, right, that AI will not impact mental health in a negative way in a classroom, right? And if you Google AI and mental health, you'll exactly what you said will come up. A lot of therapy and it can be used for this. And I, I've had conversations with GPT where I've said, yeah. I'm really sick and lonely. Can you help me out? And yeah. I love always the disclaimer in there. Maybe you need to seek professional help, but here's what you should do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> The next comment, maybe you should seek professional help, but let me offer yeah. these suggestions. Yeah, maybe you should seek professional help, but that's also hard and there are other challenges in place. So the other part of that is if we can have AI take the load of other things so that there is more time and space for mental health support for students in the classroom, then maybe that is, is a way that AI can help with the mental health. So those are just two options. One, mental health therapist. Two, offload so that more adult connection and support can exist. And I think we could go on for a long time about all these different things that we could do. So the question then becomes, this is where going back to my education philosophy is to me so important is, what is it that our community and our kids need right now? And how? what do they need in the future as best we can tell? Because none of us can predict the future. But what are they going to continue to and need? What's that? We can? I think we I, Yeah, I think we can, right? I think that's what AI is designed to do. It's a predict, mm -hmm. right? And so there are definitely people who can predict the future. Predicting the future is it's just a matter of time and information, mm -hmm. right? If I know you and I are talking and, and I get a text message that says an asteroid is about to hit Spokane, Washington, and you haven't gotten that message, I can predict your future, right? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a matter of time. I know before you and I have the information. And so I do the, yeah, so we can't, you know, I'm not trying to play Nostradamus, but at the same time, when we say we can't predict the future, 
we've got a lot of evidence with or without AI that says this could have a negative impact or this could have a positive impact, right? That's all about prediction, right? And I think a lot of people say we, we have to put our kids on it because it's inevitable, right? If they don't use this in the future, they're not going to have jobs. I want to know what jobs they will have in the future, right? I think there, there's a lot of people who will kind of operate under the paradigm. Technology always comes along and displaces people, and then those people go and get better jobs. I think we know, we can predict this is not going to be that, right? You can augment someone's intelligence and productivity to the tune of one person can now do the work of 50 or 100 or 1,000 people, right? Those 1,000 people don't go get better jobs, right? Wow. And, and then I think that ties back into this kind of what is the problem? Is this the solution? And then if we tie it back into mental illness, you know, you have aspiring writers, right, who are in classrooms who are going to get a crack at GPT and, and some of this stuff. And man, I, I don't. I don't think that's going to go very well for a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I feel like I can tell when something is written by chat GPT and mm -hmm. I, I can, I can feel that pretty well. I don't know that I'm perfect at it. And I don't know that I would take, take a book, for example, that was wholly written in it and think this is definitely written by AI, or I don't know that it would even matter all of that much. However, as a writer myself, I know how hard it is to write well and how challenging and difficult it is to really get my real ideas across in a way that I'm satisfied that people are going to understand them in the way that I'm that I intend them and this is a really challenging aspect i have heard comments of college students who have basically given up getting a job in their desired field because AI is already going to displace them. And I, I don't know how real that is. This is all like secondhand information. I haven't heard it myself personally, but I have I have heard these ideas going around college campuses. And that is just a, a sad state of affairs to be in, but also very realistic that if you're not if you're not exceptional at what you do, it could be very easy for an AI to take over that job and for you to be incredibly replaceable. And I, I certainly learned this being in education that you are just a cog in a machine as an employee in a school district because there may be a teacher shortage, but boy, they are they are looking everywhere they can for anybody who can do that work. And if you leave, you're going to be replaced very quickly. And you're certainly going to be forgotten very quickly. And that has happened to me numerous times as I've left jobs and and they found someone else. And I was just the cognitive machine. And there was no like, there was no mourning period. There was no, oh, bummer that guy left. It was, okay, who's next up? And let's put them in. And when a machine can start doing that, then I think that it's I don't know, it's it's pretty close to game over at that point, because why would you hire a human to do a job that a machine can do so much better? And I've been advocating this, that thought for many years. If a machine can do it better, then just have the machine do it, because they're not going to get tired. They're not going to make mistakes. They're going to do it right every single time. And if that's what education is, is just that, like, then... We don't really need adults, but I think that we do. I think we need teachers to do the other stuff that is education that is so much more 
than just two plus two equals four. Picture this, a student drowning in tabs, tools, and notes, struggling to piece together a research project. Sounds familiar, right? Now, imagine all of that streamlined under one roof. That's Scribble. Scribble is more than just a tool, it's a game changer. Students can curate, annotate, cite, and write all in one place. Collaborative annotations, check. Automatic citations, check. Real-time feedback for educators, you bet. And the best part is it's not just about making tasks easier, about freeing up time for higher level learning and critical thinking. Are you worried about AI plagiarism? With Scribble, students show their authentic work process, making it genuine and credible. And I mentioned it won the Soup's Choice Award for College and Career Readiness. So if you're ready to transform the way your school approaches research and writing, head over to scribble.com and see the magic for yourself. That's S-C-R-I-B-L-E.com. I think that it would be difficult to replace me in a classroom right now, but these are the dumbest AIs we will ever work with. Yeah, that's true. Right? And where it will be two years, four years, 10 years from now, again, I think we can make some predictions. And the, the thing that I think would derail the exponential growth in intelligence would be the physical space itself, right? And, and one of the conversations, we, we keep telling kids that AI is the future, right? And it's inevitable and they, they, have to, they have to learn how to use it. What we never tell the kids is, for example, what AI's carbon footprint is. Mm -hmm. And it's astronomical, right? To train a model is thousands, just to train one model is thousands of homes uh, worth of energy that they um, use in a year, right? And so as we have more AI platforms going on, now, I don't think that's necessarily an unsolvable problem, um, but I don't think that they're interested in looking at that until they get the AI models uh, to where they want to be. And then they'll look at the disastrous climate effects, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, sorry, I don't know how we, we got to that. <laughs> that's okay. Well, it's it's very real that we we don't look at the unintended consequences of the things that we're doing. And so that that is a shout to everybody that I think we need to be paying attention to. We need to look at what are the unintended consequences of adopting and implementing these tools in our schools. And we should be asking that question from the very beginning. Like what, what could go wrong here? Not in an alarmist or like acting out of fear way, but from a, a, a realistic, what could be the negatives with doing this? And is this going to make us feel more isolated? To just ban it all together, which I know is something that you you and I talked about briefly as well, to ban it all together doesn't really make any sense either because kids are going to access it on their own. Teachers are going to access it on their own from their own devices at home, whatever. And so banning it completely doesn't make any sense either. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not in favor of banning, mm -hmm. right? And in fact, when I first started using it with my students last year, I told them, and I, and I would probably go back and, and I teach government, I teach social studies, and I've been teaching about the impacts of technology on society and, and humans and individuals. I've been working in that space for, for a couple of decades now, right? And, and really focus my classroom on it. But I told my kids last year, you have to be able to use this. You have to know what its capabilities are. And I told them flat out, this is the greatest learning tool ever constructed by humans. I don't find any evidence 
to to discount that this is the greatest learning tool ever created by humans. It's also the greatest cheating tool. And it's also the greatest find a roundabout way tool, right? I don't believe that we should ban it. The word that I use was a moratorium. I really do believe that we should have a three or four month moratorium on AI usage, on purchase of AI platforms from school systems, things like that. I would support a four month moratorium. And that's not a ban. What that allows us to do is to learn, right? And I don't think AI is a tool, but even if it is a tool, we know that it's powerful. We know that it, it may not be aligned to what we want, even individually, right? In, in the classroom, it's a powerful tool. And I think you got to read the instructions first. I think we need to unleash learning about AI for the next three or four months in class before we unleash usage of AI. And again, this isn't the first time AI has been in our classrooms, right? AI has had a really detrimental impact on our students already with respect to social media and, 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 and you know, th those things. But before we kind of say, you know what, let's come in and, and bring this in and start using it, I think we need to learn about it first. And that should be a curriculum that says, how will this affect human relationships? How will this affect the privacy? How will this affect our data, right? And in the absence of that, I see people wanting to get this plane off the ground with very little instructions on how to fly it or how to land it or how to change course when something goes wrong. There's this monumental push, let's get this off the ground. And I think that's mostly, as I said, you know, a, res a result of, of money, fear, and power. Okay, so you talked about some things that we should learn. So I have a, a slightly different take on that that I'd be curious on your input on, but what are the things that we should be learning you said how will this affect human relationships privacy data etc what are the other etc that we should be talking about and we don't have to have answers for them or or anything like that but just what are the things we should be paying attention to and thinking about before we adopt something so in, in a classroom i think you one of the one of the big things i've been trying to work out this over the last couple of weeks because it's always been latent in the background but the concept of hard work right and the promise of offloading hard work. And I don't think it's put in those terms. Sometimes it is, it's quite stark. They said, why would you continue to beat your head against the wall and do that? That's really hard. We've got an AI that will now free up the time, <laughs> right? And the AI can do that work for you. And I just, I wonder what the effects are of that in an academic setting. I think yeah. you and I both would agree it's really, really hard to be educated. It's really, really hard to be intelligent. You have to put the time in. And I don't know what becomes of education and teaching and learning when we say we're going to dramatically reduce the amount of time. We're going to collapse the time. We're going to make it much easier for you. And then you can get involved in these other endeavors. I think the value of hard work and, you know, Jethro, to, to, for you and I to communicate with each other, it's hard to communicate. It's hard to solve problems. And I see AI kind of coming along saying, you know what, you don't need to put that effort in because this mm -hmm. is smarter and this will take care of that. To solve, we mentioned carbon footprint, to solve climate change, it's going to be really, really, really hard. And I don't see AI being capable of doing that. To 
teach a student the ability to read and communicate with others. And I, I'm, I'm skeptical on whether an AI can actually do that. I know there's technical skills that come along, but in the broader philosophical experiential existence, I, I, I don't know what happens when everybody doesn't work hard, mm -hmm. right? Or there's no value, there's no ethic to hard yeah. work. And that's, that's fundamentally detrimental to classrooms. That is an existential threat to classrooms when we say you don't need to work. Yeah. Oh, man, this is so good. So I've lost 50 pounds in the last six months. And it. this is how you lose weight. You eat good, healthy foods and you exercise. And you always make sure that you eat less than, than you need to maintain your weight. Like that's it. That's really simple. But let me tell you, it has been so hard losing that weight because mm -hmm. it has been a mental battle every single day about whether or not I should do certain things. And so that is one example of the power of hard work and why it's valuable. And, and so I think that that point of what are we trying to take the hard work out of and why are we trying to get rid of the hard work? And there's a difference between hard work that's meaningful and hard work that's hard just because it's hard and does not add value. And for example, when when the new math came out and parents had to do this really difficult work of working with their kids and they knew the answer, but the kids weren't allowed to do it in that same way as what parents keep telling me, that was hard, meaningless work because the goal was still the answer for what kids needed to turn in. They still need to get the right answer, but they just had an additional, more difficult step of doing it in a certain way that made a lot of parents frustrated because there was no point to it. Now, as I've talked to parents and coached them through that and said, here's why we're doing it this way. And here's why it is actually valuable because we want kids to understand mathematical concepts and have number sense and be able to know how to solve a problem regardless of whether or not they've memorized the formula, this is why we're doing it. Then parents will say, okay, now I get it. Now I can understand it. I'll work through the hard work to make this happen. And so, so there are hard things that we do need to do. And then there are pointless hard things that don't give us a benefit. And, and so balancing which of those we should take away, taking away the meaningful hard work is like, I, I think we agree on this is a bad idea. The meaningful hard work makes us better human beings. Taking away the pointless hard work, for example, a teacher grading student work is pointless hard work if they are just giving a score and saying you got 10 out of 15 correct. If they are giving feedback and learning about those students and the errors that they make so they know how to teach them better, that's meaningful hard work that's worthwhile. Does that make sense or am I am I getting off base? No, I, I, I think it makes sense. I think, I don't think that, that you and I, right, even just the two of us could come together and decide what is hard work for yes. purpose and what is hard yes. work just for, for the process of, of hard work, right? Yes. So we probably would have some disagreements with that. And then when you throw the corporations into it, right, they don't make any distinction between that at all, mm -hmm. right? So when they come to schools and they're selling their platforms, they don't make a distinction between what is meaningful hard work 
and what is non-meaningful hard work. I think their idea is we're just going to replace the, the, the hard work and the hard work of teaching. The, you're a writer. It's really, really hard, right? Mm -hmm. We stopped teaching handwriting. Handwriting was, we, we decided, handwriting is really, really hard. Why do we need to use this? We're on computers, right? And so people, I, I think people always try to make the, the calculator analogy too, right? Just because we have calculators doesn't mean our kids are going to not know how to add and subtract and divide. Well, guess what? They don't know how to add, subtract, and divide. And, and anybody who wants to show just because we've got a graphing calculator doesn't mean that kids can't solve algebraic formulas. Oh, I, I can give you thousands of kids that I've taught who now can't solve algebraic formulas, right? And now is that meaningful hard work? I guess not if they're not going to be a scientist or a mathematician, right? And so I think defining what that hard work is and looking at the evidence, what we've continually defined as or, or mundane work that, that stresses people out that we can kind of offload. I'm, I'm very skeptical of that. I don't know what they would come and sell if they weren't selling a replacement for hard work, right? Mm -hmm. I think it, it really explodes most of our educational system. The purpose is to help somebody find gainful employment, right? Well, if we remove that, now what are we working hard for, right? And I'm not saying that we can't find a replacement answer, an alternative, what I am saying is we should speculate and design and develop those before we start jumping in and saying, hey, let, let's see what we can do with these. Yeah. So, so fascinating. So were you saying that the purpose of our education system is to help someone find gainful employment? Yeah, I think I think that's I think so. I mean, th okay. there are other purposes, but yeah. I mean, it, Parents don't, parents don't spend that tax money to have their kids learning philosophy, which is unfortunate because I teach philosophy, right? But the, I think, yeah, the, the college and career ready, right? Yeah. I mean, this, mm -hmm. is, this is what we want kids to be upon graduation. Yeah. And yeah, this is an area where I, I am not totally decided on it yet, but I feel, I feel consternation inside me when we say that that is the purpose of education, because- I, I don't really believe in my heart of hearts that that's what the purpose is, but I know that that's what we have to do. So is the purpose of the system, the institution of education to help kids get gainful employment? Yes, that's how we make our society run. Is that my goal for education? I'd say definitely not, but that's but my goal doesn't mean that that's your goal. But we need those values and those beliefs to help guide our decisions. Because if the if the purpose is to help people get gainful employment, but then AI makes it so that nobody has gainful employment, then that opens up a whole other can of worms. I, we don't have time to go into all that. But I do want to share, you mentioned a moratorium. I said that I had a slightly different idea. I wouldn't say that there needs to be a moratorium, but I would say that there needs to be a... I don't know the best way to say this, but a delayed time period before you officially dot a, a new piece of AI in your school. So you said a four-month moratorium. Let's go with four months. Let's say that from the time you decide that you want to do an AI piece in your school and the time that you actually purchase and send money or actually adopt and implement in your classroom that there is a four-month time period 
where there is investigation, there's training, there's all these things that go into place before before you actually adopt it to ensure that it's going to meet the needs and specifications that we have. And so assuming that it can as well. Right, exactly. I just don't see any way out of increased use of AI. I don't see any way out than than further isolation of our students. I don't. And and if there is, you got four months to figure it out, right? And and so go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, that's okay. I I think that having having a process that you go through during those four months or a a system of evaluation to say whether or not this is good. I I spoke in another podcast about the A plus framework about adopting AI. And so that's something that you could use as a, as a basis for asking those questions. I don't think that's perfect, but I think that's a good step in the right direction. Some way to say, how do we know that this is really achieving our goals, really defining what our goals are, whether or not it's going to achieve it, how it's going to fail, because it's going to in some way, and whether or not we're okay with those failures and being able to take a, a clear headed approach to this that is not based on hype, that's not based on fear, but is based on us making the best decision that we can for the people in front of us. I mean, things already move super slowly in education. And what's crazy is how fast things are going with this, especially with schools adopting it. And so that I'm sure people would not appreciate that, especially the tech companies. <laughs> but but I think that having some sort of way to say, let's take a breath and pause and evaluate first, and then we can we can go in from there. And that's that's kind of where I've been in trying to speak to other educators and systems, things like that, is we need to learn before we use. Very basically, right? This is a powerful, powerful. I know everybody wants to say it's a tool. It's not a tool. AI is not a tool. AI is an ecosystem, right? AI is you're adopting a new paradigm. You're not just, you're not going to add to what you do. AI is fundamentally going to alter what we do in the classroom, right? Yes. And so to not have a comprehensive view of what that looks like emotionally, psychologically, socially, politically, economic is, I, I think that's malpractice, right? And and the reason, I don't know, why wouldn't someone support the idea that we should learn as much as we can before we, before we take the reins of this? Again, it's four things, money, power, fear, and hubris, right? And then you don't, you don't open up a table saw having never used a table saw before and just start screwing around with it. You read yeah. the directions and that's what needs to happen here. And it needs to happen in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, Jether, if you've been in, in public education for a while, you know that our students get zero, zero training in ethics. They yeah. can't tell you utilitarianism is. They can't tell you what hedonism is. There's zero ethical training, right? And this because parents say, keep your ethics off my kids. We'll teach our kids in, in the space of that. There's virtually zero capacity for kids to think with an ethical framework. And this is something that has real, real, as we all know, ethical implications, right? And so I think you need to teach ethics in that four months. I think you need to teach misinformation, right? These information overload has already 
taken a hell of a toll on our kids, on, on society, on, on everybody, right? When you're looking at the span at which the amount of information on the internet is going to grow in the next two years and how much of that will be outright fake or outright produced with, with the combination of human and AI, right? I mean, we're thinking of these things to scale and th this is the calm before the content storm. As, yeah. as these, it's going to have an impact on our elections. We, we need to sit down with kids and say, you have to suspend belief because what you see is, is no longer verification that something is true, right? And, and that's, that takes some time to figure that out. And, and I don't think you figure that out while you're succumbing to it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think there's, there's so much value in us recognizing, and, and I'm so glad you said the AI is not a tool, it's an ecosystem, because it, it does, every tool is really an ecosystem. And if you adopt a, any tool in your school, you adopt the mindset and framework that the creator of that envisioned for you. And, and so Jason Fried wrote a great po post about this that I will put in the chat here for you. So you can, so you can read it later, but basically the gist is any tool that you have is, is a, uh, it, it defines how you work and how you do things. And if you adopt a tool that does not align with your beliefs then the tool is going to is going to run things instead of you. That is a reality. And I think about broadly speaking, the student information systems that we had in all my schools, where the emphasis was on the completion of things and whether or not it was right and all those things. It wasn't about character development, about who these kids were becoming. They were, again, just numbers in a system, even assigned ID numbers specifically. <laughs> And weren't seen as real individuals were seen as, you know, in parts of a whole rather than as who they really were as, as an individual. And I think that stuff is just going to continue even more with, with AI for sure. Yeah. I think I agree with, I agree with a lot of what you said there. Right. And, and the, the, I think the metaphor of the tool really kind of, it, it, it gets us right. Because it's certainly what it's sold. If you listen to the podcast or anything, it's, it's these, these are tools. And I, I'd have to think more on if a tool always adopts a paradigm, right? And this one, I think AI, because of what it is, is certainly a paradigm ecological shift. I don't know if I would necessarily say the same about a drill. I, I can see where it would be, right? But generally, we, when we think of tools, those are things that have a specific design for a specific function. And if a Swiss army knife, great. It's got a bunch of different functions, right? So that's a tool, I think. But I think what we really, you know, misconstrue a little bit is that if we look at something as a tool and it doesn't work, it's the user's error. Mm -hmm. And that's, that doesn't apply to this case, right? If we bring in AI to classrooms and it has devastating impacts, it is not the user's error. Right. And so that design, this all encompassing design, uh, this whole ecosystem that's built into the ecosystem, not into the usage of it. Right. And so yeah. I think that I would make that just one little, little distinction there. Yeah, man, Kevin, this is good. I'm, I'm sad that we need to end this conversation, but <laughs> this has, this is good. I appreciated it. 
This has been awesome. I, I so appreciate your your thoughts on this and, and pushing my thinking as well. We definitely need to do this again. So thank you. All for it. Let's do it. Thank you. Edited by Gage Sanderson.